Section 35 of the Kerner Commission Report. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Report of the National Advisory Commission on Civil Disorders. Kerner Commission Report. Chapter 11 Police and the Community, Part 1. Introduction. We have cited deep hostility between police and ghetto communities as a primary cause of the disorders surveyed by the Commission. In Newark, Detroit, Watts, and Harlem, in practically every city that has experienced racial disruption since the summer of 1964, abrasive relationships between police and Negroes and other minority groups have been a major source of grievance, tension, and ultimately disorder. In a fundamental sense, however, it is wrong to define the problem solely as hostility to police. In many ways the policeman only symbolizes much deeper problems. The policeman in the ghetto is a symbol not only of law, but of the entire system of law enforcement and criminal justice. As such, he becomes the tangible target for grievances against shortcomings throughout that system, against assembly-line justice in teeming lower courts, against wide disparities in sentences, against antiquated correctional facilities, against the basic inequities imposed by the system on the poor, to whom, for example, the option of bail means only jail. The policeman in the ghetto is a symbol of increasingly bitter social debate over law enforcement. One side, disturbed and perplexed by sharp rises in crime and urban violence, exerts extreme pressure on police for tougher law enforcement. Another group, inflamed against police as agents of repression, tends toward defiance of what it regards as order maintained at the expense of justice. The policeman in the ghetto is the most visible symbol, finally, of a society from which many ghetto Negroes are increasingly alienated. At the same time, police responsibilities in the ghetto are even greater than elsewhere in the community, since the other institutions of social control have so little authority. The schools, because so many are segregated, old, and inferior. Religion, which has become irrelevant to those who have lost faith as they lost hope. Career aspirations, which for many young Negroes are totally lacking. The family, because its bonds are so often snapped. It is the policeman who must deal with the consequences of this institutional vacuum, and is then resented for the presence and the measures this effort demands. Alone, the policeman in the ghetto cannot solve these problems. His role is already one of the most difficult in our society. He must deal daily with a range of problems and people that test his patience, ingenuity, character, and courage in ways that few of us are ever tested. Without positive leadership, goals, operational guidance, and public support, the individual policeman can only feel victimized. Nor are these problems the responsibility only of police administrators. They are deep enough to tax the courage, intelligence, and leadership of mayors, city officials, and community leaders. As Dr. Kenneth B. Clark told the Commission, 
this society knows that if human beings are confined in ghetto compounds of our cities and are subjected to criminally inferior education pervasive economic and job discrimination committed to houses unfit for human habitation subjected to unspeakable conditions of municipal services such as sanitation that such human beings are not likely to be responsive to appeals to be lawful to be respectful to be concerned with property of others and yet precisely because the policeman in the ghetto is a symbol precisely because he symbolizes so much it is of critical importance that the police and society take every possible step to allay grievances that flow from a sense of injustice and increased tension and turmoil in this work the police bear a major responsibility for making needed changes in the first instance they have the prime responsibility for safeguarding the minimum goal of any civilized society security of life and property to do so they are given society's maximum power discretion in the use of force second it is axiomatic that effective law enforcement requires the support of the community such support will not be present when a substantial segment of the community feels threatened by the police and regards the police as an occupying force at the same time public officials also have a clear duty to help the police make any changes necessary to minimize so far as possible the risk of further disorders we see five basic problem areas the need for change in police operations in the ghetto to ensure proper conduct by individual officers and to eliminate abrasive practices the need for more adequate police protection of ghetto residents to eliminate the present high sense of insecurity to person and property the need for effective mechanisms for resolving citizen grievances against the police the need for policy guidelines to assist police in areas where police conduct can create tension the need to develop community support for law enforcement our discussion of each of these problem areas is followed by specific recommendations which relate directly to achieving more effective law enforcement and to the prevention and control of civil disorders police conduct and patrol practices in an earlier era third-degree interrogations were widespread indiscriminate arrests on suspicion were generally accepted and alley justice dispensed with the nightstick was common today many disturbances studied by the commission began with a police incident but these incidents were not for the most part the crude acts of an earlier time they were routine police actions such as stopping a motorist or raiding an illegal business indeed many of the serious disturbances took place in cities whose police are among the best led best organized best trained and most professional in the country yet some activities of even the most professional police department may heighten tension and enhance the potential for civil disorder an increase in complaints of police misconduct for example may in fact be a reflection of professionalism the department may simply be using law enforcement methods which increase the total volume of police contacts with the public 
the number of charges of police misconduct may be greater simply because the volume of police-citizen contacts is higher. Here we examine two aspects of police activities that have great tension-creating potential. Our objective is to provide recommendations to assist city and police officials in developing practices which can allay rather than contribute to tension. Police Conduct Negroes firmly believe that police brutality and harassment occur repeatedly in Negro neighborhoods. This belief is unquestionably one of the major reasons for intense Negro resentment against the police. The extent of this belief is suggested by attitude surveys. In 1964, a New York Times study of Harlem showed that 43% of those questioned believed in the existence of police brutality. In 1965, a nationwide Gallup poll found that 35% of Negro men believed there was police brutality in their areas. 7% of white men thought so. In 1966, a survey conducted for the Senate Subcommittee on Executive Reorganization found that 60% of Watts Negroes aged 15 to 19 believed there was some police brutality. Half said they had witnessed such conduct. A University of California at Los Angeles study of the Watts area found that 79% of the Negro males believed police lack respect for or use insulting language to Negroes, and 74% believed police use unnecessary force when making arrests. In 1967, an Urban League study of the Detroit riot area found that 82% believed there was some form of police brutality. The true extent of excessive and unjustified use of force is difficult to determine. One survey done for the Crime Commission suggests that when police-citizen contacts are systematically observed, the vast majority are handled without antagonism or incident. Of 5,339 police-citizen contacts observed in slum precincts in three large cities, in the opinion of the observer, only 20, about three-tenths of one percent, involved excessive or unnecessary force. And although almost all of those subjected to such force were poor, more than half were white. Verbal discourtesy was much more common. Fifteen percent of all such contacts began with a brusque or nasty command on the part of the officer. Again, however, the objects of such commands were more likely to be white than Negro. Such observer surveys may not fully reflect the normal pattern of police conduct. The Crime Commission Task Force concluded that although the study gave no basis for stating the extent to which police officers used force, it did confirm that such conduct still exists in the cities where the observations were made. Our investigations confirm this conclusion. Physical abuse is only one source of aggravation in the ghetto. In nearly every city surveyed, the Commission heard complaints of harassment of interracial couples, dispersal of social street gatherings, and the stopping of Negroes on foot or in cars without any objective basis. These, together with the contemptuous and degrading verbal abuse, have a great impact in the ghetto. 
as one commission witness said these strip the negro of the one thing that he may have left his dignity the question of being a man some conduct breaking up of street groups indiscriminate stops and searches is frequently directed at youths creating special tensions in the ghetto where the average age is generally under twenty-one ghetto youths often without work and with homes that may be nearly uninhabitable particularly in the summer commonly spend much time on the street characteristically they are not only hostile to police but eager to demonstrate their own masculinity and courage the police therefore are often subject to taunts and provocations testing their self-control and probably for some reinforcing their hostility to negroes in general because youths commit a large and increasing proportion of crime police are under growing pressure from their supervisors and from the community to deal with them forcefully harassment of youths may therefore be viewed by some police departments and some members even of the negro community as a proper crime prevention technique in a number of cities the commission heard complaints of abuse from negro adults of all social and economic classes particular resentment is aroused by harassing negro men in the company of white women often their light-skinned negro wives harassment or discourtesy may not be the result of malicious or discriminatory intent of police officers many officers simply fail to understand the effect of their actions because of their limited knowledge of the negro community calling a negro teenager by his first name may arouse resentment because many whites still refuse to extend to adult negroes the courtesy of the title mister a patrolman may take the arm of a person he is leading to the police car negroes are more likely to resent this than whites because the action implies that they are on the verge of flight and may degrade them in the eyes of friends and onlookers in assessing the impact of police misconduct we emphasize that the improper acts of a relatively few officers create severe tensions between the department and the entire negro community whatever the actual extent of such conduct we concur in the crime commission's conclusion that all such behavior is obviously and totally reprehensible and when it is directed against minority group citizens it is particularly likely to lead for quite obvious reasons to bitterness in the community police patrol practices although police administrators may take steps to eliminate misconduct by individual police officers many departments have adopted patrol practices which in the words of one commentator have replaced harassment by individual patrolmen with harassment by entire departments these practices sometimes known as aggressive preventive patrol take a number of forms but invariably they involve a large number of police citizen contacts initiated by the police rather than in response to a call for help or service one such practice utilizes a roving task force which moves into high crime districts without prior notice and conducts intensive often indiscriminate street stops and searches a number of obviously suspicious persons are stopped but so also are persons whom the regular beat patrolmen would know are respected members of the community 
such task forces are often deliberately moved from place to place making it impossible for its members to know the people with whom they come in contact in some cities aggressive patrol is not limited to special task forces the beat patrolman himself is expected to participate and to file a minimum number of stop-and-frisk or field interrogation reports for each tour of duty this pressure to produce or a lack of familiarity with the neighborhood and its people may lead to widespread use of these techniques without adequate differentiation between genuinely suspicious behavior and behavior which is suspicious to a particular officer merely because it is unfamiliar police administrators pressed by public concern about crime have instituted such patrol practices often without weighing their tension creating effects and their resulting relationship to civil disorder motorization of police is another aspect of patrol that has affected law enforcement in the ghetto the patrolman comes to see the city through a windshield and hear about it over a police radio to him the area increasingly comes to consist only of lawbreakers to the ghetto resident the policeman comes increasingly to be only an enforcer loss of contact between the police officer and the community he serves adversely affects law enforcement if an officer has never met does not know and cannot understand the language and habits of the people in the area he patrols he cannot do an effective police job his ability to detect truly suspicious behavior is impaired he deprives himself of important sources of information he fails to know those persons with an equity in the community homeowners small businessmen professional men persons who are anxious to support proper law enforcement and thus he sacrifices the contributions they can make to maintaining community order recommendations police misconduct whether described as brutality harassment verbal abuse or discourtesy cannot be tolerated even if it is infrequent it contributes directly to the risk of civil disorder it is inconsistent with the basic responsibility and function of a police force in a democracy police departments must have rules prohibiting such misconduct and must enforce them vigorously police commanders must be aware of what takes place in the field and must take firm steps to correct abuses we will consider this matter further in the section on policy guidelines elimination of misconduct also requires care in selecting police for ghetto areas for there the police responsibility is particularly sensitive demanding and often dangerous the highest caliber of personnel is required if police are to overcome feelings within the ghetto community of inadequate protection and unfair discriminatory treatment despite this need data from commission investigators and from the crime commission disclose that often a department's worst not its best are assigned to the minority group neighborhoods as professor albert reese director of the center for research on social organization university of michigan testified before the commission i think we confront in modern urban police departments in large cities much of what we encounter in our schools in these cities the slum police precinct is like the slum schools it gets with few exceptions the worst in the system 
Referring to extensive studies in one city, Professor Reese concluded, in predominantly Negro precincts, over three-fourths of the white policemen expressed prejudiced or highly prejudiced attitudes towards Negroes. Only one percent of the officers expressed attitudes which could be described as sympathetic towards Negroes. Indeed, close to one-half of all the police officers in the predominantly Negro high-crime-rate areas showed extreme prejudice against Negroes. What do I mean by extreme racial prejudice? I mean that they describe Negroes in terms that are not people terms. They describe them in terms of the animal kingdom. Although some prejudice was displayed in only 8% of police-citizen encounters, the cost of such prejudiced behavior, I suggest, is much higher than my statistics suggest. Over a period of time, a substantial proportion of citizens particularly in high-crime-rate areas, may experience at least one encounter with a police officer where prejudice is shown. To ensure assignment of well-qualified police to ghetto areas, the Commission recommends officers with bad reputations among residents in minority areas should be immediately reassigned to other areas. This will serve the interests of both the police and the community. Screening procedures should be developed to ensure that officers with superior ability, sensitivity, and the common sense necessary for enlightened law enforcement are assigned to minority group areas. We believe that with proper training in ghetto problems and conditions, and with proper standards for recruitment of new officers, in the long run most policemen can meet these standards. Incentives, such as bonuses or credits for promotion, should be developed wherever necessary to attract outstanding officers for ghetto positions. The recommendations we have proposed are designed to help ensure proper police conduct in minority areas. Yet there is another facet of the problem, Negro perceptions of police misconduct. Even if those perceptions are exaggerated, they do exist. If outstanding officers are assigned to ghetto areas, if acts of misconduct, however infrequent, result in proper and visible disciplinary action, and if these corrective practices are made part of a known policy, we believe the community will soon learn to reject unfounded claims of misconduct. Problems stemming from police patrol cannot perhaps be so easily resolved but there are two considerations which can help to allay such problems. The first relates to law enforcement philosophy behind the use of techniques like aggressive patrol. Many police officials believe strongly that there are law enforcement gains from such techniques. However, these techniques also have law enforcement liabilities. Their employment, therefore, should not be merely automatic but the product of a deliberate balancing of pluses and minuses by command personnel. We know that advice of this sort is easier to give than to act on. The factors involved are difficult to weigh. Gains cannot be measured solely in the number of arrests. Losses in police protection cannot be accepted solely because of some vague gain in diminished community tension. The kind of thorough, objective assessment of patrol practices and search for innovation we need 
will require the best efforts of research and development units within police departments, augmented if necessary by outside research assistance. The federal government can also play a major role in funding and conducting such research. The second consideration concerning patrol is execution. There is more crime in the ghetto than in other areas. If the aggressive patrol clearly relates to the control of crime, the residents of the ghetto are likely to endorse the practice. What may arouse hostility is not the fact of aggressive patrol, but its indiscriminate use, so that it comes to be regarded not as crime control, but as a new method of racial harassment. All patrol practices must be carefully reviewed to ensure that they are properly carried out by individual officers. New patrol practices must be designed to increase the patrolman's knowledge of the ghetto. Although motorized patrols are essential, means should be devised to get the patrolman out of the car and into the neighborhood, and keeping him on the same beat long enough to get to know the people and understand the conditions. This will require training the patrolman to convince him of the desirability of such practices. There must be continuing administrative supervision. In practice, as well as theory, all aspects of patrol must be lawful and must conform to policy guidelines. Unless carried out with courtesy and with understanding of the community, even the most enlightened patrol practices may degenerate into what residents will come to regard as harassment. Finally, this concept of patrol should be publicly explained so that ghetto residents understand it and know what to expect. End of section 35. Recording by Maria Casper.